Um, as we dive into our scripture today, I want to encourage you to turn to 1 Samuel chapter 23, if you're using the Pew Bible, page 200 and, um, 245 is where we'll be this morning. We're in a series called, called Kings, and we're just marching through the stories of the kings of Israel, imagining and, of course, running into especially David as he has been driven from place to place, all over the place he's wandering, and kind, of like a, kind of like a gunslinger, Clint Eastwood kind of character is what we're, we're thinking about and imagining him as we read these stories. There's been plenty of shootouts already, and so that works well. Um, in 23, there are several vignettes that we're going to kind of go through, stories that, that reveal to us the character of David, but also continue to push him deeper and deeper into trouble, to trial, to uh, difficulty. And if you are struggling with that this morning, trouble, trial, difficulty, especially betrayal, which is what we're going to run into t- today, we're going to see David's his bravery, um, but we're also going to see his betrayal and when Scott threw this viciously on the ground, well, I think that was because they did it. You got to put the batteries back in right, Dan. And you got to put them back in right, Jordan. We'll get there. All right. All right. So, um, and still no dice. Well, I'm just going to point to you, Asya, if you can change it for me as we go. Um, there we go. There we go. Look at that. Uh, in the, uh, in the, the story here uh, is going to be the bravery of David, and also we're going to see frequently that throughout this story that he is betrayed by numerous people. And so if you're in that situation this morning, uh, you know um, that you are in good company with David. So now remember last week uh, the the story of David, we have uh, the map. I'm going to put it up here for a second. Um, David is hiding off in the forest there, the forest of Horesh, as it said here, or Horath, depending on your, um, your translation. He's hiding out there. And in chapter 23, we open up with this story that as David and his men are kind of hiding out, um, Robin Hood in, Sher- in Sherwood Forest style, they're all hiding out and they're in hiding. And it would, word comes to David that the Philistines have attacked. Now remember, the Philistines are on the coast this way, and they push forward frequently into Israel. And what they've done in verse 1 is they have raided the granaries. Now, we might say to ourselves, well, that's not a big deal. Just you know, head over to Meyer and pick up some new grain. But obviously... This is not the situation the Israelites find themselves in. Without grain, we are talking about starvation, right? Without the grain that they have, their crops, then we're looking at very dangerous and lean times for these Israelites. And so uh, an important question comes to, to David's mind. What should I do about this? Look at verse 2. 2 Samuel 23, verse 2. Therefore David inquired... We might use the word pray, like we use the word pray to kind of refer to any time we talk to God. The Bible in the Old Testament often used the word inquire. God, or David prays to God, he asks God, he inquires of God, shall I go and attack the Philistines? I love this because this, I think, lays forward two important qualities. Remember, um, remember when... God came to Saul and took the kingdom away from Saul. If you can go to the next slide, please. He says this to Saul. 
But now your kingdom shall not continue. It's not going to go on. I'm taking it from you. Why? Because the Lord has sought a man after his own heart. And the Lord has commanded him to be the prince over the peoples. Because you have not kept what the Lord has commanded you to do. And what does this tell us about God? What does this tell us about God? This tells us that when God is looking for a man or woman that he is going to use, a servant, he is looking for someone who is going to pursue the same things that God wants. He wants somebody that is after his own will, as we've talked about. But this isn't simply a matter of obedience. If you've ever, um, we got kids here? Let's see. Austin. Has mom ever said, Austin, go do this, and you've gone and done it? After a few times. An honest child, very good. Why after a few times? She's processing. Yes. Processing. Processing is a fancy way of saying I don't want to. I li- right? I like that. We, we're already learning spin at the age. Right? I don't want to. We've all had that. If you, you know, you've been at work in our lives, we always have these things, instances where people say, hey, I want you to go and do this, and you say to yourself, well, I don't want to do it, but I know if I don't, mom's taking away video game time or TV time or, or whatever, or maybe I'm going to be penalized at work, or, or you know, I just don't want to put up with the hassle, so fine, I'll do it. That's not the attitude that God is looking for. Now, please hear me on this. I'm not saying the attitude that God is looking for is just sort of, well, I don't want to do it, so I'm not going to do it. Doing it is always better than not. But what God hopes for and wants out of us is that we would want to do what he commands. And so what we have in David, or what we have in God speaking about David here, is he's not just looking for actions, he's looking for will. I want to do what God wants, and I will follow through and act on it. I will actually do it. And that's what's so incredible. It's about a heart of obedience. And remember Jesus, Jesus ran into the same issue. So Jesus' way, we're kind of fast forwarding a ways, but Jesus in the New Testament um, is speaking to the Pharisees. You remember the Pharisees, they are the ultra obedient people. And as Jesus kicks off his famous Sermon on the Mount, where he's going to kind of tell you what it looks like to follow after him, He says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 20, this, For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that, so it goes beyond, it's it's better than, greater than, that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of God. That's scary. What does that mean? That means you don't have a place in Jesus' kingdom. You have a place in the other kingdom. Sometimes we call that hell. And so this is kind of a serious moment here. What is Jesus saying? He's saying, you've missed the boat if you think the only thing that God wants is begrudging obedience. Certainly God will take that, but ultimately what God is after is somebody who is after his own heart. And that's the problem with these Pharisees. And that's the problem I find in my own life. I am frequently willing not to com- uh, unwilling to commit sins or desires. You know, I get something in my mind. I want to do this. I want to respond this way. I want to repay evil with evil. You ever anybody know what I'm talking about? Thank you. I'm processing it. <laughs> and I say to myself, "No, that's wrong. I'm not going to do it." And I don't. And God's 
saying, well, good, I'm really glad that you didn't do that thing. That's good. But what would have been better if I didn't have to process it all, right? It would have been better if I just, oh, man, I would never do that. Why would I even, the the idea wouldn't even have entered my head because it's not a part of my heart. I was on retreat this this weekend, and uh, 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 the preacher over at Comstock, Todd, he shared this idea with me. It's really a cool idea. And he said, so I'm getting it like, from third hand. He heard it from somebody else who thinks that they heard it from C.S. Lewis. So I have no idea where this came from, but I like the idea nonetheless. He said, our minds are like, are like houses, right? And there's a place in every house that's called a basement. And in the basement, there lives rats and their bad thoughts, bad deeds, things that we desire. And there, sometimes if you, if you open a door open and there's light coming in, what happens? What do the rats do as it sort of slowly scatters? Bontragers, hey, I was worried about you guys. I'm glad to see you guys today. Is the baby here? Oh, baby. What was I talking about? Good. So you slowly open the door, and the rats scatter, right, because they're afraid of the light. But what happens if you kick that door open? The rats are caught because it's so hap- it happened so fast they weren't able to, to move out of the way. Our thoughts, our evil thoughts, our dirty thoughts, our, the things that we desire are often like that. If we open the door slow enough, yeah, we won't do it. But if we kick the door open, words come out of our mouths, actions come out of our lives, that normally if we had time to process, we wouldn't have done. But because we didn't have time to process, and it reveals the, our heart. And what God is after is that true heart. He is after a person who is like David. And what does David do here? I love what David does here. It's so incredible because it's so unlike me. What does David do? He hears of a problem, and a big problem. I mean, this is serious. Somebody is being attacked what can I do? I've got, I've got, I've got men. I've got. Remember, he's got that that those that, that posse of bad dudes, and he can he can has gun, will travel. Like he's ready to do something about it. But what does he do? He stops and he inquires of the Lord, not impulsively acting, which is something I am really tend to do, but rather he has a deep and abiding prayer life that drives him after God. And so we see two things that happen in David, two things that happen in David. The first thing is that David hungers for justice, especially concerning the people of God. He is worried about others. I know y'all are really busy. I know things happen in our lives that are really, I mean, we're all just, there's, there's a never-ending stream of things to do and to be about. Are you worried about others? You worried about others? Is that a part of your life? Is that a part of your thing? Are you tied into the church enough to where you're, you're, especially within our small church, there's a small church plug right there, especially to the extent of which you are both willing and able to both hear and receive help. To be able to speak help to others and receive it or to help others. Is that a part of your life? David hungers for justice here. I think too um, of the... Uh, of the, the, the church that we have um, throughout the world. Go ahead and hit the next slide. This is a map of, of the world right now, and especially highlighted our areas of persecution. Like These are places where our brothers and sisters are being either persecuted lightly or being killed. That's a lot of places. 
That's a lot of brothers and sisters in Christ. Is there a concern in our heart for these people? And, and this is something that I sort of come to frequently because I want to pray for the persecuted church. I want to pray for those people who are struggling and striving. In fact, we have a group that we support there in India um, that you could speak to the missions uh, team more about a couple of our children's home. But when she came, came and talked with her, there's a severe persecution continuing to increase in India. And we are directly helping with that. Like this is something that we, we care about and we ought to care about. We ought to hunger for justice and to care about others. The second thing that David has here is that incredible prayer life. Where instead of impulsively racing after, well, I've got the men, I have the ability, I can do this, let's go do this. And you know what? Maybe David could have. Maybe he didn't even need God's help. But that isn't even a thought that enters into David's mind. He doesn't say to himself, well, you know, we got enough men, I can go do it. He just immediately goes right to God and says, God, what do you want me to do with this problem? What do you want me to do with this problem? And I, I think of Paul. Paul, um, who is traveling, again, we're jumping into the New Testament here, but Paul, who hears about Jesus after Jesus dies, and he's spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ throughout um, Asia, and he wants to go north, and the Spirit stops him. And he goes a little further, and he wants to go sort of north, what way is that, east, west, northwest, and the Spirit stops him again, because God is speaking, and Paul is paying attention I know many of you think that God is not speaking to you today, and I want to dispel that awful rumor. God is speaking. The question is whether or not we are praying and inquiring and seeking. And to pray, to inquire, to seek requires two things that I hate. Silence and patience. Silence and patience. I'm terrible at both. You terrible at both? When is the last time you were silent and there was silence around you? When was the last time you were patiently waiting in silence to hear from God? We're not just talking about you need to do one or the other. We're talking about the horrible combination of both. Do you want to hear from the God who is speaking? Do you want to inquire and receive a word from God concerning your problem, concerning your struggle? You're going to have to be quiet and wait. Listening for where God is going to direct you. And that will increase with time. I want to encourage you as well to say that if you continue with that practice, it will increase with time. You will become more sensitive to where God is leading and moving and shaping you. Where God is directing you so that you can have victory. Because ultimately, we're telling sort of back in the story here for a second. Ultimately, what do we want God to do to the Philistines? Oh, come on. This is, not our, this is chapter 23. We've been here before. What do we want God to do to the Philistines? Destroy them, right? We, we want victory for Israel. We want God's people to be elevated, right? So, so God says, and God answers David because of his patience, because of his perseverance. He says there again in verse 2, the Lord says to David, he speaks back, go attack them uh, and save Keilah. Go ahead and save them. Rescue them from the hands of those who are attacking them. And all of the men who are around David, though, they st- the, you know, David's like, all right, we heard from God. We're going to go and we're going to save Kayla. We're going to attack these Philistines and we're going to defeat them. And all of his friends around him are like, uh, hold on a second here. 
Because there is a critical component of being in hiding. And maybe you guys don't know this because you haven't been in hiding. It's been a while. Some of you guys are old. It's been a while since you played hide and seek. But the critical component to hiding is hiding. Right? Hiding is the critical piece here. And what is David and his men going to do if they go and attack Kayla? What are they no longer doing? Hiding. And so his men say, hey, listen, uh, you remember that we're in enemy territory. You remember that Saul is after your life. You remember that like, we're not safe right now. And you're saying what we should do is, is leave the place that we're hiding and go to sort of like stick out like a sore thumb. And David, and David is, is funny. David's funny. Uh, because obviously you have, a, as a leader, and maybe if you're in a leadership position, you, you can recognize this. People around you say, you know, that's a bad idea. We shouldn't do it. Often we have the impulse to do, again, one of two things. Cave to the pressure or become a dictator, right? Cave to the pressure, say this is the way we're going. But what does David do? He inquires of the Lord. He stops. And he says, I'm getting resistance here. What should we do, God? Do we, do we go and do we, do we try to take on these Philistines? Are, are my men right? Have I misheard something? Because you know what's possible, and I... I I know you're not going to believe me on this, but I just, you know it's possible. You might be wrong, right? That, I mean, that has happened in the past, and it may happen again in the future. And when people around you say, hey, listen, you know, I'm not sure that's a good decision. I'm not sure that's really what God is calling you to do. I'm not really sure that's in keeping with Scripture. I know that our tendency is to say, I know. But David shows us here a very important quality. I don't know. And maybe I need to stop and listen and pray and seek the Lord on this. And that is exactly what he does. He goes in verse 4, David inquires of the Lord again and the Lord answers him again and says, No, I'm, I'm telling you, go arise and, and save Kayla, defeat those, those Philistines. And so I want to encourage you this week to encourage you, if you're facing a problem, if you're facing opposition, if you're facing something that that you think, well, I could fix this, I could jump right in there, I I want you to hold back that impulse and instead pray. You know, if it's a big problem, it'll be there tomorrow, right? And if it's a little problem, well, it probably doesn't matter anyway. And so why not give a little time for God to speak to you? Why not give a little space between reaction, between decision, between action, and say, God, what should I do here? What should I do here? I want to encourage you to do that because that's what we see with David and God answers David. In fact, from, from, from Genesis to Revelation, to seek God is met with answer is met with God speaking and leading and pushing. And of course, we have something greater than than even David at this time. We have a whole lot of scripture, the word of God speaking direction to you. Perhaps this is something we should do too before we make decisions. Is bathe it in prayer and in seeking the word and what God has to say for us. 
Well, again, what we see here, and it's no surprise to any of us, God said, uh, go and defeat them. I'll give them into your hand. God says again, go and defeat them. I'll give them into your hand. And David goes and he defeats them, and God gives them into his hand. And you know what David gets? It's a reward for this great faithfulness. Betrayal, right? He gets betrayal. Notice verse 7. Now it was told to Saul that David had gone to Kayla, and Saul says, Aha! Gotcha, sucker. That's a new Calica version. <laughs> Saul hears that David is penned in in Kayla, and you know, there's a wall around the city, and he's like, Oh, I've got him like a caged bird. I've got him. Has he rightly read or misread the signs? He's misread them, hasn't he? He's looked at the situation and he's come to a conclusion and his conclusion is wrong. Perhaps another opportunity for us to say, maybe you're wrong. Like maybe that happens sometimes that we see something at work in our lives and we say, look, it's a blessing from God when in fact it's not at all. As Saul continues to pursue David, he continues to show his rebellion against God because he's not listening nor following him. And notice, notice how deep a betrayal this is. What has David done? He has done Saul's job. Any of you ever done that before? Done somebody else's job and they thanked you by not thanking you? <laughs> they thanked you by maybe using, oh yeah, so they get the attaboy or something happened. There's, there's a sense of betrayal there. Saul's job is to protect Kayla, his job as king is to make sure that this people are safe and that they can continue to worship and to follow Torah, follow the laws that God has given them. And instead of doing that, David does it for him. And if you know what it's like to have someone betray you like that, you're in good company because David does too. Now, what could David do in this situation he could have marshaled his men. He could have fortified the city. He's obviously favored over and against Saul. He could have gotten into position. He could just say, this is a beachhead and we can kind of take on from here. I've got, a, I've got a base of operations. We could push Saul back and we can win. We can defeat this guy. Or what he could have said is, you know, we just got to get out of here. We got to run away. We'll go back into hiding. We're just kind of that hit and run, guerrilla warfare mentality. He could have done that. But what does David do? Take a guess. He prays, he inquires of God. And, and this is sort of like, in the other instance, like Kayla was in danger and David and his men were safe. And so it makes sense that there's a little more space for him to say, well, God, should I go and deal with this or should I leave it to Saul? But in this situation, David's in danger, right? He's the one that's in trouble. He's the one that, that's going to possibly be in battle or even killed. And yet he doesn't act immediately. He stops, he says, okay, everybody, Hold on. Verses 9 through 11, we see this here in the text. David knew that Saul uh, was plotting against him, and so he says to Abathar the priest, who, who uh, has an ephod, and he says, uh, bring that ephod here, which was a, a, a religious garment. When, then David said, uh, O Lord, God of Israel, your servant has surely heard that Saul uh, seeks to come to Kayla to destroy the city on my account. Will the men of Kayla surrender me into their hands, or will Saul come down as your servant has heard? O oh Lord, 
the God of Israel, please tell your servant. This is, uh, I just want to show a picture of quick, this is what an ifad, or closely, somewhat like what it would have looked like. We're not, we don't have any, obviously, YouTube videos of how to make them. They didn't leave those behind. But this is to our best, this would be vaguely what it looks like. This is a vestment that the priest would have worn in their worship services. So we aren't just talking about David getting on his knees and praying by himself. We're talking about a worship activity where they are before God entreating him. And is David alone this time? No, right? I just read it. You should be quicker on this. Stop processing. Act. The answer is no. David is with Abathar the priest, right? And they're putting, he's putting on this ephod, and he's praying together. Um, and so... Uh, what does this tell us? It tells us that not only is David engaging and praying, but he is now drawing other people to him, and they're praying and worshiping God. I love, uh, this draws my mind again back to the New Testament, to Acts chapter 4. You might remember this, the church gathers like we're gathered here this morning because they're facing persecution from the outside. And the church gathers together and they pray. They pray and seek God's face. What do we do? Pressure is on them to cave into culture. Everyone around them thinks a certain way, acts a certain way, and they're saying, y'all need to step in line. Pressure around them to stay quiet, literally to stay quiet about Jesus in public. Don't, you know, it's fine if you like Jesus, it's fine if he's your Messiah, it's fine if you believe in him, but listen, you need to stop proclaiming his name. Church comes together to pray about this situation, and their prayer is magnificent. Their prayer is, God, do what you will, but give us the courage to be bold. Do what you will, but give us the courage to be bold. Gathered together then, God answers both Israel's prayer and David's prayer. Perhaps that's a lesson for us. That when the heat is on and when trouble is active in your life, you are praying with other Christians. This is not, Christianity is just not something that you can do as a lone wolf by yourself. You need the community around you, sharing in your trials, sharing in your suffering, helping one another as those decisions, those big, hard, life-changing decisions come into you, come into your life. You have somebody there to pray with you, to worship with you. This is what we accomplish within our small church ministries, an opportunity for us to pray together, for us to share struggles and trials, to be with one another, to offer advice, to listen and say, I'm not so sure that's right. Then seeking God together so that we can find out what is right, what's the next step. That's what David does right here in the face of betrayal by Saul. Go ahead. And so he is, of course, as a gift and, um, uh, you know, for his faithfulness, he is betrayed again by the people of Kela. We read here that, yes, Saul will come to Kela, and yes, the men will turn you over to Saul's hands because they aren't willing to fight for you. They aren't willing to die for you. They are going to protect themselves. That sound like somebody, anybody you've ever run into? Really kind of just interested in protecting themselves think about what you could do if you were david and you got 600 
dudes who know the sword and are ready to fight. And you can command them and they will do it. And you've just gone and you've rescued this city. I mean, you have helped them out. You saved them from starvation. You saved them from these enemies. What could David have done with those 600 men? Because he could have done, attack the city. He could have taken, just taken and said, you know what? We're going to take this grain and we're gone. You know, we, it's, it's ours. We rescued it. Good luck, everybody. He could have, in other words, gotten revenge. He could have acted in kind, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. He could have done that. It makes me think of the disciples. You remember Jesus is wandering around and he's, he's preaching in these places. And there are places that accept him and places that don't. And there's this one situation where he's preaching. And what, for whatever reason, it seems like the response from the people that he's preaching to must have been very harsh. Because the disciples say, Lord, should we call down fire and consume them? Because... I have wanted to pray that prayer before. Come on, right? Vindicate us, God, with fire. I don't know if you remember what Jesus does or not, but he gives him the stink eye. It says so right in the Bible, stink eye. And he rebukes them. Because that's not how we're called to operate. Yeah, you might have been betrayed. Yeah, you might have been hurt. Yeah, you might have been crushed under the wheel of injustice. But how you respond shows who you are and who you are loyal to. It shows your character. They've already shown their character. What's your character? Who's your Lord? What's your passion? Is it to get even? Is it to get success? Is it, is it really that important? Or is your passion aligned with God, God's glory? And believe me, if your passion is aligned with God's glory, God's glory will always win. It's always going to come out. God's glory will always shine. And if you aren't so concerned with your own vindication, you can set your eyes to that glory and say, whether I'm vindicated or not, I know that God's glory will shine. And if I'm aligned with that, he'll draw me with him. He'll draw me with him. But if he's going to draw you with him, your heart has to be with his. Your will has to be with his. And your actions have to be with his. David leaves that city alone. And he runs to Ziph, which is a great name. I love it. Ziph. Go ahead. If you remember with me, the um, uh, not only he's betrayed by Ziph. Go ahead. Next one there, because I think I have a map. Because I love maps, right? Who doesn't love maps? Ziph. So he flees from Kayla down to to Ziph there. And so if you kind of have in your mind, you, you might recognize that uh, Gilbea right there, or Geboa, as I would tr- um, put it there. That whole region, kind of where that says Israel up there. My pointer is dead, so I apologize. But that's all uh, Benjamin. So that's Saul's tribe's territory. David has gone down south into Judah, which is his tribe. So uh, David is from Judah, and he is now in Judah. He is kind of on his home turf, in his homeland, in his home area. And what we read here in the text as we go through uh, uh, chapter 23 is this, is that when they hear that David is in their town, when David has moved south into their region, what does Ziph do? Ziph sends messengers up to Saul and says, Hey, Saul! Hey, Saul, David's here. You can come and get him. 
So not only has David, for his prayer, for his faith, and for his action in regards to that faith, been betrayed by his old master Saul, been betrayed by the people that he rescued, but now David is being betrayed by the people, by his own people, by his own family, by his own flesh and blood, as it were. David is being betrayed by his own house. That leaves David in a tough spot. What do you think David will do because of it? Well, you've got to read the rest of chapter 23 to find out. And as the band comes up and uh, we begin to prepare for our, sort of our, last, our last song of worship, I want you to consider what you have heard about David today. And I want you to consider that as a call, for those of you who are believers here this morning, as a call, as a, as a, as a picture, as a story, as an image of somebody that we could sort of look up to and begin to incorporate that same attitude in our lives. That if this week what you are facing is trial or temptation, a big decision, something that you're wrestling with, something that you kind of want to jump on and interact with and and decide on immediately. It hurts nothing and blesses everything for you to stop what you're doing and pray. Inquire of the Lord. And if it's particularly dangerous, if it's particularly troubling, if it's particularly big, I want to encourage you not to do it by yourself. There's a reason why Jesus called us into a church, into a community. It's so that you wouldn't have to do it by yourself. So that other people who are empowered by the Holy Spirit can rise up around you and say, yeah, I feel the Spirit pulling me in that direction too. It sounds like that is exactly what you ought to do. Or saying, hey, pull on the brakes. I don't think that sounds right. Let's read the scriptures. Let's search together. Because if it's a big problem, it's going to be there tomorrow. And if it's a little problem, it doesn't matter that much anyway. So stop fretting about it. And turn it over to God the one who can change, the one who can act, the one who can direct with such perfect precision that he is glorified and you are drawn into his glory. And whether you're betrayed by those who you have helped or betrayed by your own family, let that faith shine because God will see you through. He is faithful and good, and he will not forget his own. Are you his own today? Are you his own today? Let's stand as we worship God together this morning.